closer look, we have Hector Alvarez, president of Alvarez Associates, an expert on workplace security and safety, and I'm Bob Dittman. Hector, we all hear through the media of horrible active shooter situations. Now, they happen in the workplace, they're happening in schools, businesses, churches, but you have some suggestions that if we should wind up in one of these situations that could work for us. One of the, the very first things that we have to get our mind wrapped around is the fact that it may occur. And so just accepting the fact that it may occur can allow you and maybe assist you in overcoming that phenomenon where you freeze. When we're presented with something scary, we either fight, we run away, and what we don't talk about is that moment that you freeze. And we've seen it through a lot of emergency situations. That's the first thing. Take a moment and just decide, I'm going to come home no matter what. That really helps. Part two is understanding how basic getting away from these things are. If whatever your orientation is right now physically, if you were to hear and see something dangerous happening in front of you, your strategy is to move the other way quickly. Now, whether that's running or hiding, doesn't matter. But you have to make the decision that I know where that bad thing is happening and I'm going the other way. But fear is often triggered in our mind before reason. How do we overcome that? So there are some breathing exercises. You know, as silly as that sounds, there, there's some combat breathing techniques, taking a series of deep breaths to lower your heart rate so you can think about some options. But honestly, one of your best bets for surviving these incidents is thinking about it before it happens and having a strategy. It's hard to have a specific plan because we don't know what's going to happen. It's going to play out differently. But I've seen young people, old people, small people, big people react very favorably and in a very bad way. And the big difference was their mindset. How much do you want to come home to the ones you love and care about? For me, that's what motivates and drives me. So it's a very basic, visceral reaction and instinct. And we just need to build on that. Well, in any organization, we want to be safe. When we're out and about, we want to be safe. We set ourselves on autopilot an awful lot, and we're not really paying attention to our surroundings. So when you're talking to people or organizations, is this a topic of discussion? To be honest, it's one of the main topics of discussion. Personal safety and this phenomenon or this dynamic that we call situational awareness is so very important. And if you think about it from a safety perspective, we want you to be safe in the parking lot of our buildings, but also while you're out shopping, when you're at home, you can't just switch it on and off. It's got to be something that you embrace on a regular basis. What are some of the things we should be looking for to help keep us safe? At the most basic level, one of the things we're looking for are changes in patterns. We live, most of us, almost all of us, by this social contract, this unwritten rule, how we interact with each other. Before the pandemic, there was no specific written rule about how close we stood, but we all had our own personal space. How we interact with each other when we first meet somebody in a place of privacy, as an example, two people who don't know each other, who don't have bad intentions, will act a certain way. Somebody who's going to take advantage of you breaks that social contract. They treat you differently. They interact with you differently, and it stands out. How do we learn to recognize warning signs? What are some of the practical ways? Understand the difference between warning signs and indicators, and it's very important. As an example, if we're driving down the road in our car and a low tire pressure light comes on, that's a warning sign that something could be wrong and we probably want to get it checked out pretty quickly. If you continue down the road and all of a sudden you hear that that typical swap of a tire going flat and your car starts physically pulling left or right, you know you have an immediate concern. That's an indicator that something's wrong and you got to take action. It's the same thing with people. 
And here's the good thing. Just like any, almost anybody could look at a child, whether you have one or not, and recognize that child is sick and how sick. Most of us could look at a child and go, you know what that kid needs? He or she needs a nap or he or she needs to get in the car with us right now and head to the doctor with a high degree of confidence without any training. It's the same thing with people. If you can trust your intuition, if you can, can look and recognize these differences, you know when a situation is different. It's just the ability to respond when it's different. On Closer Look, we have Hector Alvarez, president of Alvarez Associates, an expert on workplace security and safety, and I'm Bob Dittman. Now, what is MOVE? MOVE is an acronym that we came up with to simplify this discussion. One, that mindset up front, that's the M in MOVE, okay? Which is if something happens, not only am I going to accept what's happening, I'm going to harden my resolve to get home. The O in MOVE stands for orientation. You simply have to figure out where the violence is coming from. If you don't see it, but you hear it, it's hard to make a decision where to run to or from. It's like, it's like driving down the road and hearing a car siren. You don't immediately pull your car to the right. You let off the gas. You try and figure out where the vehicle is coming from. Then you make some decisions. Same thing with violence. Once you know where it's at, then you can do that. that make, make that decision of whether you're going to run or hide. The V stands for volume. If I can't find a way out, I'm going to put as much stuff, much time, distance, and material between me and that violence, locking doors, barricading them, looking for resources if I need to protect myself. And that's the E. The E in MOVE stands for engage. If there are no other options and the individual who's trying to hurt me or us is there, I may have to fight back. And if I do have to fight back, I'm going to fight back with everything that I have. And I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep moving. And if I say that over and over, my feet may start to believe it and I can do the things I need to do. So the E is really the last resort. Am I correct? The E is the last resort. The majority of us, just peace-loving people, are not built to hurt other people. And it's a big lift. That's when you go back to thinking about the ones you love and care about and doing the things we need to do to come home. But it is a last resort. How might we keep things from escalating? I mean, what starts as a discussion might lead to an argument, which could lead to something a little more dangerous. Am I right? You're absolutely right. You know, as we look at it from an academic perspective, trying to break down the violence, what we know is that disagreements happen between people. And it's, it's a small little issue, but a disagreement not addressed will lead to a conflict, which is more protracted, which there's more energy, more time invested. If we don't address the conflict, that is going to lead to a confrontation. And so our ability is to, and our goal is to address those when they occur, when they're smaller. And so part of it is being, you know, having that willingness to listen. But if we're in a position to see the conflict, to address it. When we start thinking about the road that we're heading on, and a lot of people are trying to figure out what is going on with this level of violence that's occurring between people and this deterioration of relationships. And I think it's our responsibility individually to speak up when something happens that's inappropriate. I think in the workplace, out in public, if something inappropriate happens, we should have a visceral reaction response and intervene. Intervene doesn't mean directly. Notifying somebody, calling the police, alerting somebody who works there, calling your friend away. But we cannot, we just simply cannot sit on the sidelines and hope things get better. I think we have to get back to treating people decently and, and expect that and model that and champion that. Hector, how do you teach people to set emotional and physical boundaries? Here's what's interesting about, about boundaries. A lot of us struggle just in general with confrontation and with conflict.
But if you don't set a boundary, if you don't stop when you're walking, you start to feel uncomfortable and a situation arises or someone's approaching you and you don't address them. If you don't set a boundary, you don't know it's been crossed. You know, I had a, a situation with a, an employee and a man reach across the reception counter and start stroking her hair. One, it caught her off guard. She froze because she just couldn't believe it was happening. And we talked later and she was so frustrated. It was later and talking that she was really ready to set her boundaries and talking through what she would have done in the future. It's part of that same discussion. If we don't say, you know what, that's not appropriate. You can't touch me. It's going to continue. The more we allow unacceptable behavior to continue, the more it becomes acceptable, the harder it becomes to detect. So our ability to step back, say no, I don't appreciate that. That's not appropriate is really a baseline for setting up our whole situation awareness and personal safety around us. I'm guessing we might be more of a target when we're alone. We can be. Something that we've considered, what would motivate somebody to victimize another person? It's three things. They want to take something from you that you don't want to give. They want taking it away to be easy, and they don't want to get caught. If we can disrupt one of those three things, our likelihood of being victimized is dramatically decreased walking with purpose from here to there. I've always heard, you know, some people talk about talking on the phone as if they're, they're talking to, you know, a loved one or a colleague, but I don't want you to look like you're distracted. If I was looking for somebody to target, I want somebody who's not paying attention, who has a bag of cash hanging off them. So if we secure our property, walk with purpose, we look like we mean business, our likelihood of being targeted is much lower. That's how we disrupt that criminal motivation. So again, being aware of our surroundings should be a priority. It is an absolute priority. Unfortunately, we're starting to see some changes in behavior. We're starting to see this phenomenon of smash and grab robberies. We're starting to see scams increase, but we're also starting to see people being followed from the store or the bank to their residence. And so being situationally aware of what's going on around you, is somebody following you? And if they are, what do you do? And think through that. Hector Alvarez is our guest on Closer Look. I'm Bob Dittman. Well, let's talk about the workplace itself. How can offices and businesses use technology to add a layer of security? One, by using the technology they have in place. Regardless of what size you're building, a lot of buildings have doors with locks. Whether those locks are electronic or not, doors that are meant to be closed should be locked. And we can layer that technology of just keeping the things we want to keep outside, outside. You know, it's funny. I talk to a lot of organizations about whether or not their employees should wear badges, visible IDs. The IDs are not to recognize who you are. The IDs are to recognize somebody who doesn't belong there. And so by leveraging even complicated technology in a very basic level, you can dramatically increase the safety of your organization. There's other things out there. There's weapon detection technology. There is passive scanning. I still think the greatest technology that exists is people watching out for their own environment and then knowing who to call, knowing who to tell. That's, I think, the biggest improvement we can make in our workplaces. We shouldn't just rely on work security personnel. Is that right? No. No, you shouldn't. And I chuckle because it's almost like having a neighborhood watch program. And if you think about the things that make our neighborhoods extra safe, you know, it's not the kooky guy that has a whole bunch of guns sitting up front in a lawn chair. It tends to be that nosy neighbor who's watching vehicles coming and going and raising the alert, raising the alarm. It's the same thing in the workplace. Here's the good thing. We are such creatures of habit and patterns. When those patterns are broken, it stands out. I mean, I guarantee everybody listening has a favorite parking spot at work. 
and think about how you feel when you get there and someone's in your spot. It throws you off. <laughs> you're right. Well, you're looking for those differences. Well, we'll think about, you know, everybody who attends church, recognize that every family member, for the most part, sits in the same spot week after week. And it would really throw you off to come to church and the Johnsons had moved seats. We don't like change. And so when there's something different, it calls our attention and we should take action. I'm Bob Dittman. This is Closer Look. Sunday morning's the last place we expect to encounter violence. But as we've learned, anywhere crowds gather can be targeted by dangerous people. Mindy Russell is an expert on church security. Mindy, you've been doing this for a while. Is there an upward trend on attacks at churches across the country? What have you seen? Oh, yes. Uh, I have seen that. And unfortunately, we actually have more shootings in churches than in schools. But no one's aware of that because it's not covered in the media. Mindy, tell us a little bit about what you've experienced in churches when doing a walkthrough. Well, I got to tell you, maybe it's because I'm a woman. I don't know, but I've been able to walk around a church that they don't even know me. I'm not even dressed like a chaplain or look anywhere like law enforcement, just dressed up in Sunday clothes. And I've gotten on the stage. Nobody's challenged me. I've asked where the children are. They readily not only answer the question, take me there. I, I think people are not aware of danger and they're not train to look for questions that are coming at them as possibly a threat. So I think one of the biggest things is we've got churches that are over-trusting to people that come to their church and they don't even know them. Bob, I talk about there are three elements to complete a crime, the ability, the desire, and the opportunity. If we take away the opportunity by not answering those kind of questions, and challenging people that are, quite frankly, suspicious and taking away their ability by preventing things, movement around the church where they shouldn't be, then we only leave that one for the bad guy, the predator, and that is their desire. And that is not something we will ever change. We can't change the desire for them to harm someone. That's got to be God. God has given us the authority to take care of our own people. Does it matter how small or large a congregation is? No, it does not. In fact, sometimes the smaller churches are the ones that have that feeling that nothing's going to happen here because we're small. Nobody cares about us. You know, we're not on the radar, for example. But I really do believe that we, the people in the United States, needs to have a much more alert situational awareness around them because we really do live in a country that the bad guys, the predators, if you would, don't have boundaries. They go everywhere to the big churches, little churches, big towns, little towns. Many do most churches have a safety program? And if not, why not? I mean, what's keeping them from doing so? That's funny that you asked me that because when I go to actually do a consultation to churches that don't have security and I've been kind of pushing back against security, what I hear a lot is, quote, God will take care of us, unquote. And I'll look at them and I'll say, well, do you have insurance for your church in case there's a fire? Do you wear a seatbelt? Do you have, you know, home insurance? Do you lock your doors at night? Okay, God will take care of us. Absolutely. But we are also commanded by God to take care of his sheep. 
it wasn't too long back when news came out about a pastor subduing a gunman at a church in Nashville. I'm not sure tackling the suspect from behind is the best thing to do. However, the outcome of this case was positive. What's your thoughts? So as far as uh, pastors carrying a gun, my theory is that we in the congregation and the stakeholders, the gatekeepers or security, however you want to call them, they are the ones that are supposed to protect one, the children, and two, the pastor. The pastor is there to shepherd. And if you think about in the, the natural wildlife, we have the shepherd that takes care of the sheep and the sheepdog that takes care of the shepherd and the sheep. So I kind of look in that kind of analogy. And you know, everybody carries a weapon. Everybody. Guess what the weapon is? Their brain, their mind. If everybody's on the same page of doing the right thing, we're going to have people not be hurt by people that come in to want to harm. I'm Bob Dittman, and this is Closer Look. With us is Mindy Russell, Executive Director, Law Enforcement Chaplaincy of Sacramento, and an expert on church security. What are some of the most difficult challenges churches face today when it comes to security? Some, I think, is getting over the fact that they really do need security. And what does that look like for their church? There's a lot of small churches, example, that they're generational. They have grandmoms and parents and children, and they, they've been there forever. But we have to understand that there is mental illness situations. There's just problem that even though you might know this person, you still have to treat it as protection for the whole church. And so I think that there's a couple of things. One, I think that because they think it costs a lot to have church security, they don't even think about it. They don't go there, but it doesn't cost a lot to be secure. You have a lot of things that you can visually and mentally prepare way before something happens. And then I think, too, is the fact that just getting over the fact that it could happen instead of it will never happen here, have the mindset that if something happens, this is what we'll do, changing the mindset. You know, as I was doing some research, I came across information about the Secret Service, and I'm sure it would involve any law enforcement in general. The agent might not be looking for a particular person, but they know what they're looking for. In other words, there's some telltale signs, like someone wearing a coat on a hot summer's day. Now, is that something you teach to church security teams when you're doing training, looking for those subtle things that could be an issue? Oh, absolutely. We teach about situational awareness, and we go through what the person's body language is talking about. And so I begin that section by saying, stop looking for bad guys. Start looking for bad behavior. That changes everything because then it doesn't matter if you know the person or not. If it's bad behavior, become very suspicious. And guess what? A person's body language is something that's controlled on the subconscious level. So you can't kind of act it out or change. And some of the things that we talk about is the posture. You mentioned jackets, oversized or loose fitting or clothes that are not appropriate for the event. Why would someone wear a hoodie, a snow jacket in the summer, right? Keeping their hands in their pocket, adjusting their waistband or facing one side strong or not looking at the person or having tunnel vision. All of these things that we go through are very, very clear. And I'm going to tell you what, we can call it the Holy Spirit discernment. We can call it our gut reaction, but we pick up things that are not right. 
Now, here's the problem, Bob. So often we go from the subconscious level of being alerted to the conscious level and normalizing the abnormal. And so we'll go, oh, well, maybe he just is a a shy person (laughs) instead of he won't look at me when I'm talking to him. So we normalize things that we should be saying, wait a minute, this is not right. Let's investigate a little bit more. And I'm a real firm believer in a rover. A rover is one that kind of keeps an eye on the whole church while church service is going on. And the bigger the church, the more rovers you would have. So the ushers, the meters and greeters can be rovers. And they're not necessarily the one that would engage if there was danger, but they would be the ones that would be on top of things. And I'm a real firm believer that not only rovers inside the church, but also outside the church, making sure that the parking lot is protected from thieves and, you know, people waiting for people outside the church once they get out. Again, we have to understand that we're not always talking about the mass shootings. We're also talking about domestic violence, where the domestic violencer is the one that knows where he can find his wife. It's usually at work or at church. If they go to a church and they see ushers very alert, looking around, they've got some security going around the parking lot, they probably will just go away, overcome the objections and the fears of those that say, no, not in our church, never going to happen in our church, and really be able to address it as, and this is why it won't happen, because we're prepared. I'm the average congregant. What could I personally do to help me, my family, stay safe in church? How can I empower myself? One, you sit on the aisle seat. Number two, have a plan. Always have a plan. And it's not that you go in there being afraid or scared, make your children be afraid. But here's the plan. Now, we have fire alarms and we have fire drills almost all the time in our schools. The same thing should be in the church. We have fire alarms, but we never have an active shooter drill. So we talk to our younger children like, if there's a fire, this is what we're going to do. Have a plan. What is your plan? What is your code word? Are you going to be able to run? Are you going to be able to hide? Or worse yet, are you going to have to fight? Okay, so you're saying not heading to an exit is the right idea? Not necessarily. When I say have a plan, you've got to have this plan way before something happens because you will not rise up to what you think you're going to do in the moment. You will fall back to what you mentally prepared. And if you haven't mentally prepared, you're not going to fight. You're not going to flight. You're going to freeze. And that's even worse. So I don't say absolutely you always hide is what you can do first. Obviously, the best thing is to get out of there. And then be prepared to fight and use anything and everything you got from your Bible to the uh, donation plate, if that's in your hand, to what's on the pulpit. You use whatever it takes to stop that person from harming you, your family, or others. It truly means to smack them upside the head with the word, huh? Yeah, lay hands on them. <laughs> well, I always say my purse is a, a weapon in itself. If I just threw that, I think I could knock somebody out. So There you go. Mindy Russell of Law Enforcement Chaplaincy of Sacramento is our guest on Closer Look, and I'm Bob Dittman. What if it happened here? That might be a good question to start with if a church is looking into creating a more secure environment. What's a good second step? We can make it happen and make their church 10 ways safer just this coming Sunday. Well, how do we do that? 
We want to assign roles right away. Who are the people that are going to be in that role? It's the people that are going to be a stakeholder, very interested in security, and will support the passer. And you know what? Just have one person be assigned to calling 911 each church service. And we have found that the people that are in the wheelchairs, or I have my little mother who is, you know, 90 years old, has always said, I'll call 911. Well, she can't move very fast, but I'll tell you what, she knows how to use that phone. We also want to be able to just starting right now is have a single entrance into your church into the sanctuary. So, so many churches have back doors, front doors, side doors, keep them locked or have an usher there and have one way that they can get into the sanctuary and one way out. See more control, taking away ability and monitoring those doors and locks because there are many people that will unlock a door or put, worse yet, wedge something so the door stays open while church service is going on. And quite frankly, if you are having threats, your pastor may be having threats, move the pulpit. Instead of being right in the middle of the stage, maybe he needs to be off a little bit. And quite frankly, that red zone or the hot zone, we call it, is from front road seat to the pulpit. That area, no one's allowed to go that close to the the pastor or the stage. And that seems to even make clearer. And again, to make it not feel like people are in a jail or in some problem area, when they draw attention to the exit, it could be in the announcement, hey, people, I don't know if you've ever seen our beautiful fire exit signs, but they're over there, they're over there, they're over there. Don't we get that every time we sit in an airplane to take off? You know where those four exits are, right? But it's easy to forget these things if you are not preparing. And then asking the leadership to pray that there's protection and that God's there to provide safety that day, but also having that leadership or the staff meeting prior to it. This is what we're going to do if. And you can have a meeting with the fire marshal. You can have a meeting with the police officer to better understand what are your specific church risks. Mindy, some of what we talked about could apply to other venues like a, a concert, a play outdoors or indoors. What, if anything, would you add for people who may be attending such an event? I think they should absolutely learn situation awareness when they walk into a room, when they walk into a concert, when they walk into a movie theater, glance around. What looks out of place? What is the behavior that picks up? And guess what? Your subconscious picks this stuff up. I can go into a shopping center and I know that oh, this person's acting different. And it might be just a little bit that really goes under the radar for most people. Well, you're not going to be then having to focus on the whole room. You now go zoom in to that one specific behavior or that area. And then you find out, is this a threat? If it is a threat, what are you going to do? If it's not a threat, then you move on. But I think situational awareness and then what happens if it happens to you? We're training personal safety right now in the areas of what if there is that mob that comes into a store to steal everything and run out? You better not be collateral. You better not get in the way because these are organized groups that are doing these kind of stealings in these big stores. So what are you going to do? I really do train people to what if, what if, what if, what if you're sitting at a restaurant and somebody comes up, 
brandishes a gun and says, give me your money. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Think outside the box and you're going to have a whole lot more clear mind if something happens to you, if you don't ever practice. So what you're saying is to get off autopilot, having that awareness of what's going on around you so that you can devise a plan, so to speak, anywhere that you go. I am shocked how many people's faces are in their phones and they have no idea who's following them, what's coming up to them. You can be just pray just because of your own behavior. ATMs, we walk up at nine o'clock at night and think nothing of it. Yeah, you should. What's around the building? Who's sitting in the parking lot in a car? Before you even get out of the car, this is what I do. I drive around my whole parking lot because we have bunches of trees and shrubs just to make sure that I can get to the door before somebody jumps out of a bush. I've only had that happen once, Bob, in my whole 30 years of working. But I've got to tell you, once made me very clear how to act if something happened like that. All right. Mindy Russell of Law Enforcement Chaplaincy Sacramento has been our guest on Closer Look. Mindy, is there anything you want to add before we wrap it up? I like to leave you with a psalm to encourage our churches. Psalms 1227. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. God's got many, many scriptures to help us in truth, understanding. He expects us to be the gatekeeper of our churches and keep his people safe. For a closer look, I'm Bob Dittman.